0: delighted that the microphone is working, (laughs) but that you are here with us for this important conversation and and for those many of you who are joining us online as well for this specific panel which is on the topic of Christian prayer uh, and unity. And let me just say a few words before um, I introduce our great colleagues, my great colleagues. First, let me say that we are not here to talk about how our prayers help the Duke men's basketball team win the national championship. And we know where the Duke fans are. Um, Perhaps they're not here right now. (laughs) But our congratulations goes to the team. We're here in Duke University Chapel Um, for this conversation, because Duke Chapel is a house of prayer for all nations. The chapel is a center of worship, and we hold worship services in this place almost every day uh, of the week. Uh, The act of worship is the source and the summit of our Christian life, and prayer is critical to this. People of faith, even of no faith, and I've heard it uh, over and over, may walk through the back doors of this church to come in for quiet meditation throughout the day. And when the chapel staff was in a strategic planning process about a year or so ago, and having conversations with uh, a variety of constituencies, one of the common themes that arose about Duke Chapel was the view that it was a space for prayer and reflection. And so we bring this topic of Christian prayer and unity to the center of campus in the chapel. And by doing so, we implicitly assert the centrality of prayer. Inside and outside of this chapel building, there are prayer meetings, prayer pilgrimages, prayer vigils, prayer rallies, prayer marches, prayer circles, services of prayer, and thanksgiving in church seats, on the streets, and in the quad. And so prayer is a common spiritual practice among Christians and can be a bridge for helping Christians who are often so divided over theologies, social issues, approaches to mission, can be a way of helping us to come together to witness to God and Jesus Christ. And so even within our ecumenical collaborative work at Duke, Prayer can be a common thread among the varieties of Christian groups on campus because of our common confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Just as Jesus himself prayed in mountains, on mountains and in gardens during moments of ecstasy and agony, we are called to learn from him how to relate to God the Father. A key to this relationship is prayer speaking and listening to God through all of the experiences of life, the ups and downs. Prayer is our spiritual breath from and lifeline to God. Thus, we hear the scriptures telling us and calling us to pray without ceasing and to not be anxious for anything, but in prayer, make our requests known to God. You might hear some say that prayer changes things, but I believe God changes things and prayer changes us. And because we can be changed through prayer, we may become the people God desires us to be with a soft heart open to God and to others, that we might live into Jesus's prayer for his disciples to the Father and John, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus's prayer before his betrayal and arrest are for the unity of his disciples. This is a prayer we aim to live into today with this conversation. And I'm delighted to have some of my friends, <laughs> colleagues here to give us a, help us have a deeper understanding of, of Christian prayer and unity uh, closest to me We have Father Michael Martin, who is the director of the Duke Catholic Center. Um, Next to him, we have the Reverend Megan Benson, who is currently the director of worship at Duke Chapel. But in 30 seconds, she'll be the new chaplain (laughs) at Duke Divinity School. Um, Also next to her, we have the Reverend Dr. Lauren Winner, who is a professor of Christian spirituality at Duke. Divinity School and an award-winning author. And next to her, we have Reverend Steve Hinkle, who is campus minister here for many years with InterVarsity uh, and particularly now with the graduate and and faculty ministries. And so it's great to have them here to help us come to a, a more fruitful understanding of prayer and its connection to unity. I should say that there is a spot here and in the back, but this might be more conducive, helpful for you, to put your pieces of paper. If you have a question, we invite you to write that question down at any point during the conversation. And feel free just to slip up here and put it uh, in the offering plate or in the the plate in the back. And that'll help our uh, Q and A time. Now I asked the, the panelists to reflect on a couple of questions leading up to our conversation and we'll see where all of this goes. <laughs> With this crew, you're never quite sure where we might be going, so. But the, the first question, and uh, anyone can begin, there's no particular order, and it's a twofold really, um, is what is prayer uh, to you and what are some of the main approaches to prayer within your particular Christian uh, tradition?
1: All right. I was going to say ladies first, but that's all right. uh, I'm happy to go. Uh, Honored to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Luke, and uh, fellow panelists for uh, uh, joining me. I am uh, honored to um, be a part of a a wonderful group of folks and in this wonderful house of prayer. I think in the Roman Catholic tradition, um, as well as I'm sure in our own uh, traditions here, we uh, sort of fall back to an ancient concept of, uh, the church fathers, I believe it was um, St. John Damascene who uh, de- defined prayer as uh, a lifting of the mind and heart to God, you know, and, and so if I might add on one of the great uh, church fathers and say, and our our bodies as well, I think that there's also a physical way of, of being engaged uh, in the life of prayer, and I think that that's at the heart of maybe all of our traditions, although I don't want to speak for others, but certainly believe that's at the heart of what, what we're uh, trying to, to do in prayer, certainly from the Roman Catholic tr- uh, tradition. But also appreciating that um, from the, uh, certainly the letter to the Romans and other uh, writings by Paul in the Christian scriptures, we're constantly reminded that prayer is the work of the Spirit, that we we have to always keep in mind that as much as we understand ourselves as being the ones who are praying it's really the spirit that cries out Abba within us and so as much as we I think always want to be fine-tuning this art and this practice and realizing that it's we want to be in communion with the Lord that it's it's actually the Lord within us that is creating that unity and so I think certainly in the Catholic tradition, we try as much as possible to keep those things in mind. While we're lifting our mind and heart and soul or, or, and body to God, it's the Spirit that's actually doing that. I think if I could focus on maybe a few distinctions within the Catholic tradition that are unique, uh, and maybe not so unique, but maybe are points of emphasis uh, for us, liturgical prayer is probably something that... Um, we tend to maybe focus upon maybe more so slightly than maybe some of our other uh, cr- uh, Christian brothers and sisters, um, and in that liturgical prayer we we sort of understand that it 's the public prayer of the church. I, I think we all appreciate that prayer is an act of individuals who desire to be in communion with God at the same time, we also have to realize that there is a communal dimension of it and there is this public dimension of it that it should not necessarily just be something that I do in my room as we're called to in the gospel go and pray in your room but there's also this this communal dimension of being together in worship and praise and one of the ways that the church the catholic church has done this um, pretty consistently over the years is one of our liturgical celebrations is the the liturgy of the hours where We uh, have different moments of the day throughout the day and the evening, different specific prayer rituals that we go through, which uh, ordained ministers are called upon to celebrate with uh, the faithful and for the faithful. And I recall in my seminary training, one of the things that always struck me early on was saying that in, in carrying out those Liturgy of the Hours, what it becomes is, at any time of the day or night around the globe, someone is praying this prayer and uh, this prayer not just for the persons praying it, but more importantly prayer for the church that we have the responsibility to pray for the church and for the people of God as a whole, so that responsibility to pray for others, not just for my, you know for myself and my own needs and so that, li- that liturgy is important, certainly our sacramental life is is something that's very important in the Roman Catholic uh, tradition as a means of prayer the hallmark of which for us is the celebration of the Eucharist that that becomes what our documents call the source and summit of all that we do it's er everything flows from that everything comes back to that that central uh, moment of prayer Uh, And then certainly, if those be the public forms of prayer, then there's also our private, more, you know, affective uh, times of prayer, which I think in many ways we share very similarly with all different or many different other Christian denominations. I would just highlight one maybe point of clarity that I think oftentimes gets misunderstood about Catholic prayer, and that's our intercessory prayer when we come to praying with the saints or with Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. Um, oftentimes, I think folks might misunderstand that as us praying to them. And we, we change that and say, no, we're not praying to the saints or we're not praying to Mary. We pray with the saints. We pray with Mary. And I, I, I try and share this with the students all the time. Any of us oftentimes will ask other people who we know are holy friends and say, I have this issue I'm dealing with. Would you pray for me? And I think any of us who have had that experience where people have come to us and said, would you pray for me? We're honored and edified by that. Oh, certainly, I I would pray for you. And I think the Catholic Church says that's what the saints are. They are our, our holy friends who we call upon and say, would you pray for me? And Mary, sort of in a very privileged position, because her soul magnifies the Lord, that she has that ability for us, if we can link ourselves with her to pray that prayer with her, that our souls, which is what we're hoping prayer does, might magnify the Lord as well. So not that we're praying to Mary or the saints, but we pray with them to God. And so I thought it might be helpful just to add, that's a unique dimension I think that Catholic spirituality has had that sometimes gets misunderstood. So those are just some key moments, I think, in Catholic prayer life there are more but I was told three minutes and probably went five <laughs> Sorry.
2: Sorry. I guess I'll go next um, <laughs> I'm not I mean I feel like I'll echo uh, much of what has been said I, I think of prayer as being both individual and communal and something that uh, is a lifting of the heart and mind to God and an opportunity to bring our, the whole of ourselves to God and to also open and listen um, for what God might be saying to us. In thinking about this panel, I my denominational background is United Methodist. Uh, I'm not sure that United Methodism is sort of known for its in-depth articulation around prayer, but I do think that the Wesley Brothers started um, United Methodism sort of as a revival movement within the Anglican Church, and some of that was... Um, out of a real yearning for the the sense of the Holy Spirit and the process of sanctification, the process of becoming holy. And I think that that works at an, individ, at an individual and at a corporate level. And so I think that prayer is very much a part of that. Um, sort of discovering who you are in God and who God is calling you to be individually, but also as a community, I think, is very rooted um, in... A sense of prayer and often personal holiness and so i think i know for me personally i've often found the psalms a very helpful pattern for prayer i think in part because they sort of capture the array of human emotions and i think that a big part of prayer is vulnerability and coming to god with all of the parts of us be that anguish or anger or lament or joy and thanksgiving and so I find that to be a very meaningful pattern. I know as somebody who leads prayers now in a you know, community of worship, um, I think that I've become very attuned to what it's like as a Christian minister to seek to, in the prayers of the people, to truly gather the prayers of the people um, and lift those prayers to God Um, And that has, I know for me, even the process, uh, Duke Chapel is a place where we often will write our prayers. I know that this is not necessarily true in all traditions, but for me, that has become a spiritual discipline in itself. As I've reflected on the scriptures of the week, as I've reflected on the needs of the world, and sometimes the needs of our particular community, that for me has become a very um, important spiritual discipline. So... But the Holy Spirit is foremost in that and seeking. And I do think prayer is a a two-way street. Um, I do think as much as we bring ourselves to God and we are very chatty, (laughs) uh, it's also a place to stop and to listen and to hear what God might be saying. And that takes practice. It's not easy. We probably
3: have nothing else to say, yeah. right? <laughs> to so, everything <laughs> that you were, gonna... for letting me um, do first. right? <laughs> so I will super briefly, basically say some things that Father Mike said. Um, <laughs> so uh, in thinking about this, I thought not of my life as a professor at Duke Divinity School, where maybe I should be praying more, but I thought more of my life as an Episcopal priest, um, and there. Also, liturgy, liturgical prayer, is the centerpiece of, um, of the church's worship and is taken to be the centerpiece of individual closet prayer. Um, um, and I grew up Jewish before I became an, an Episcopalian and a Christian, and I think one of the reasons that I became an Episcopalian when I became a Christian was this um, taken for grantedness by me that what prayer is, is liturgy. Um, So Judaism is thoroughly liturgical in its corporate worship, and you go to corporate worship, you open a book, you recite what is in the book with the gathered body there. And I think if I had stumbled into a very non-liturgical church when I first began exploring Christianity, I wouldn't have actually recognized what was happening. Um, But I wandered into an Anglican church, and it felt very familiar in its presumptions and assumptions about what constituted um, public prayer and corporate prayer. So I would say in the Anglican tradition liturgy is is always the skeleton of prayer um, and public liturgy is the skeleton and then there is private closet prayer that also takes liturgy as its skeleton but might, um, might move into some extemporaneous prayer. Historically in the Anglican tradition in the 16th, 17th, 18th century um, defining oneself as liturgical was Um, was a polemics. It was part of how Anglicanism defined itself over and against other emerging forms of Protestantism. Um, And that, I think, is still, in an understated way, sometimes true of the Episcopal Church. Then I think Episcopalians, like many other American Protestants, have learned in the last 30 or 40 years, now I'm going to really leave you nothing to say, Mm -hmm. have learned um, a sort of selective recovery of some older forms of contemplative prayer, um, silent prayer. I think that that's been a, a broad spread recovery in American Protestants writ large. Basically, things that would have been glossed 50 years ago as the things the Catholics do and so we don't do them have now come to be received as part of our larger Christian inheritance. So, one very much probably actually prayer with saints has not quite made the list, but many other practices that would have been thought of as Catholic. Um, prayer with not a rosary, but with prayer beads, right, is, a, is an instance of that kind of um, recovery of practices from the larger Christian past. Um, and then finally, I would say that I think there's a, a disjuncture, it's the same disjuncture we've already heard marked between our habit of thinking of prayer as something we do and what prayer actually is. I, I actually would go a little further and say prayer isn't something we do, period. It is something God does. Uh, And when we speak of the triune life, when we speak of parachoresis, when we speak of the fellowship of love and friendship among and between the persons of the Trinity, that is endless prayer. And we are sometimes caught up into it. But I think it precisely isn't something we ever do. There's a, um, a wonderful sentence in a recent book by Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, who says, I think I have this exactly verbatim, but it may not be quite verbatim, um, who says, prayer is what God does in you when you're close to Jesus, which seems right to me.
4: So I, I have come out of, and I'm still in a more evangelical tradition, which we were talking earlier about how much that's changed in my early years. Anything that kind of spoke of liturgical was seen as um, disingenuous, as not able to inhabit anything meaningful and genuine in your own heart and soul, because so the deep value of prayer it was my my genuine attempt to communicate my heart to God and um, what I longed for, what I, what I grieved, what I wanted to see happen in the world, how much I loved him, and for it to be real, it needed to be somehow spontaneous and in this moment. If you've hung out among people who pray in that way you realize there's a liturgical stream through that sometimes it's you know something annoying like father i just want to you know i mean that's the liturgical form that precedes all real prayer um and so uh but at at a deep level i think prayer is uh, communication with god Um, and it's it's two-way it is listening and speaking Um, it's listening in scripture it's listening um, to that still small voice it's being quiet Um, um, that prayer is honesty before god Uh, for me the 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 end of hebrews 4 where it says everything in creation is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account Um, uh, that's a scary thought nothing is hidden but everything laid bare Uh, and it follows that up with you know but we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses who's been tempted as we have been yet without sin so let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence that we can find help in our time of need, and so that a sense of genuineness and honesty, and not pretending—you're never um, off stage or behind the curtains. So you can pray the way you'd like, um, but you actually have to be true. Um, and, I, and I think the the kind of evangelical churches and a lot of forms of Protestantism have, along with the Episcopal Church, have rediscovered some of the historic practices of the church um, in contemplative prayer. Um, In listening prayer, in breath prayer, um, of, of, but also have learned to value the kind of liturgical prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've been with a group of kind of evangelicals, and I understand most of my exposure has been within the university evangelical world, which is really different than kind of rural country. Um, So you know, we'll be using the the Divine Hours, you know, routinely to guide our communal prayer time in the same kind of language of, of. what it means to feel like we're praying in a form that is practiced across the world. And and as we get closer to the idea of unity, there's something about unity that happens when we recognize that what we're doing is a small part of a whole movement of God. Um, And so so there's that recognition that prayer, there's something mysterious to it. I wouldn't go so far as to say we don't pray, God prays, and we just do it with him. But there is also the sense that, we don't know how to pray and sometimes the spirit prays for us and groanings too deep for words so there's this participation with God that we are genuinely doing as we pray but but, but is meaningless apart from um, the fact that God is present and we are walking along the path that he's laid for us um, as we pray and so um, so that sense of uh, kind of closet individual prayer something we do uh, as well as communal prayer is something we do with the rest of the church, um, is is shared. I think within the evangelical, and I also go to a mainline Presbyterian church, but of a, of a more evangelical flavor, um, in this area. And and so there's a lot of different um, forms of prayer uh, that we inhabit as a body, and so uh, um, that that borrow, as evangelicals tend to do. We're like we're a little eclectic um, in the way we think about. Prayer practices as well, um, and that shows up in in the way we do things. So you know, in, on campus, when I first came to Duke, we met daily at noon in the crypt, um, just below us, uh, t- to pray together and to intercede uh, for the campus. So that's another part that we haven't really talked about: is the things we long for together then get named together um, before the Lord, as as uh, both inviting God to be where He already is but agreeing with him that this is something on his heart as well. Um, And in that, again, mysterious way, feeling like somehow God um, accomplishes his purposes in and through us, even in and through our prayers, which don't change him, um, but are his ordained way for us to be uh, about the the work uh, of God in the world.
3: to me that given the theme of unity that we've essentially all said the same thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet there are all these barriers to praying together.
0: Right. And so my question is then what are the barriers? Are there barriers? Maybe there's not a perception of that, but if there, if there are, what are the hindrances to gathering together um, in prayer, in common prayer across the various traditions? And and maybe it's happening in in smaller ways, but if it's not, what what are those barriers or what are the things that get in the way?
4: I can, Uh, so uh, we used to take a group of Duke undergraduate students up to the South Bronx every spring break for a mission trip, and we would visit uh, a Haitian Pentecostal church when we were there. The prayer practice in the Haitian Pentecostal church were alien and foreign to what these Duke students had experienced. Mm-hmm. They appreciated it, but from afar and didn't know how to enter in. Um, so there's, there's the alien forms of prayer sometimes it's hard to, to enter into. And I think sometimes there's alien forms of prayer that we actually stand in judgment on. And I think especially the liturgical free form prayer has been one of those historic areas of judgment where one from a liturgical form you could look and think, um, that that free-form prayer is sh- is shallow um, and kind of pop-culturish and mm-hmm. liturgical. From the other side, scene, is seen um, as heartless and, and disingenuous. Um, and so, uh, um, Lewis I think helped helped bridge some of that. Sometimes he talked about liturgy as sliding his feet in an old pair of loafers. You know, There's such a comfortable place to be you know, where you, you knew you were home in liturgy. Um, just like you're sliding your feet into some slippers when you got into your house um, but that I think has been a historical divide um, that's, that still stands in many circles
1: I think the um, while there is uh, a certain comfort that we all share as you know sort of express like you know, aren't we all sort of doing the same thing I, 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 there's a part of me that says let's also be not be naive let's have eyes wide open there's a Um, Latin phrase, and I loathe professors or panelists in this case that quote Latin and then assume everyone is a Latin (laughs) scholar, but uh, the essence of the phrase means, um, you know, as we pray, so we believe. That this concept that the words of our prayer are powerful theological statements about what it is in fact that we believe, and so we should be I don't want to say cautious because who wants to be cautious in prayer? It's some, somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, counterintuitive. At the same time, there it, it, there is a sense that you know the words that I offer um, do speak powerfully about what it is that we believe, and so I I realize that anytime that we seek to um, to be together in prayer, even before we came out here. Today, the the five of us gathered in Luke's office and and shared a moment of prayer. And Steve led us. And I can imagine, running on some subconscious level of his heart and soul, was making certain that what he said was something that everyone in the room could say amen to. You know, then that becomes the challenge of any any of these kinds of shared moments. I, I would rather see us affirm more deeply our. United need to prayer. What what strikes me, at least on this campus, uh, and probably in other settings, I don't think that we're different than other, is how we've taken uh, that role, that powerful moment, and said no to prayer. I think, for example, sadly, I think of uh, last week, we had an unfortunate incident on campus where a noose was hung in a tree. It was so offensive to so many people, particularly... Uh, folks of African-American descent. And we had a, a moment out on the chapel steps, the chapel steps. And we had, you know, I don't know, a thousand members of our community that to me was crying for a moment of prayer and there was none. And I, I don't, that to me is the harder hurdle to get over is appreciating when people of diverse experiences can at least acknowledge this is a moment that calls for some kind of prayer. We'll figure out what it'll look like, but it calls for something rather than ha- can we figure out the, the, the mechanics of the how, which the, I don't want to say the devil's in the details, but there there is some truth to that. So th- that's something that just strikes me a little bit. Well, and I
2: think the one thing I would say, and this is more, I think, at an individual level, I think – our human impulse often is to judge rather than um, pray. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I even think, I feel like this semester and even like so many times with Facebook, like my newsfeed has been filled with like vitriol on all sides from Christians, you know, from different sort of (coughs) perspectives. And I've often just thought, could we please just stop for a moment and pray about, you know, if even if we categorize somebody as our enemy, like scripture tells us to pray for our enemies. So I've often felt that if we stopped to actually pray for people that we might disagree with or pray for our own understanding, that that would be uh, a significant starting point rather than just sort of, I feel like there's a lot of judginess and anger and... A lot of times, that just rubs me the wrong way.
1: I, I also think um, it, it strikes me that um, when we're, we're talking about the how, one one prayer that unites us is not even originated in our own sort of Christian tradition, but you mentioned the Psalms. I, I, I just, I find if there be something that we all can latch onto that as you so well stated, covers the breadth of human experience. And so there's not everything, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Any of our experiences can be found in the Psalms. So if there, if we look for a what, I think the Psalms capture it. And then the other is the perfect prayer, the Our Father, which Jesus, you know, Lord, teaches us how to pray. And, and I think we would all be on board with saying, you know, that, that,
3: a shared translation Trent, of that's, so, true. I mean, like, that's, that's true, that's true, that's true. I example, and right. we don't call it the tre- same Christ, thing. Right, right. And I mean, it, to, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the right. Our Father, is an interesting instance of like, yes, this is a found, and even, yeah. and even in my own parish of 35 people, we don't agree on the same <laughs> translation, <laughs> let alone, so.
1: True, we'll go, I'll go back to the Psalms then. Yeah, right, <laughs>
3: we don't agree <laughs> on that
1: translation either, but. <laughs>
2: that's,
1: right.
2: Go back to the <laughs> that's
3: right, That's right, that's <laughs>
4: right. One one more comment on unity. I mean, one of the things I've seen on campus here is a a strong desire among Christian communities that are distinct from each other. They have their own organization Mm -hmm. and meetings to want to gather together in prayer. They used to do uh, an event called One Tent, and they try to pull all the groups together. And there was a a sense of grief even in doing that, that why are we separated from each other anyway? Um, But it's interesting as the, the two areas where unity seems to happen among believers is to gather to pray and to gather to serve in um, those two. But but not necessarily, I mean, but it's impossible to do that without inhabiting a certain practice. And so if you want to gather, let's all get together and pray. Well, they don't mean let's sit together and, and go through the Book of Common Prayer. You know, those. so how we even do that then becomes part of um, negotiation, listening, hospitality to people who are different, and i think we're it's really easy to feel like you're being united um when you just gather a bigger group of people who think like you do and pray like you do to pray in a bigger group and you don't think about who's not here praying with us um and how do we then extend hospitality to them not just by saying come pray with us our way mm-hmm. <laughs> but how do we then say to to them come how would you pray and can we can we can you teach us <laughs> teach us to pray in a way that is is in line with who you are and what you've done. I, it's a discipleship issue that we, we're not co- uncomfortable calling people to repent of all sorts of things or to expand the repertoire of how they serve or how they love the Lord. Um, and I think the kind of courage to ask people to, to grow in prayer, to, to take on new practices. And if, it, if they're foreign or awkward for you, well, so was throwing a baseball, well, you know, if you're a sports person. Or mm-hmm. a lot of things that we value were at one point awkward or difficult for us. So I think unity in prayer calls for that sort of intentionality and willingness to to try, um, try new things to, and to try to extend hospitality to the folks who are somehow absent from our prayer.
3: This may seem pessimistic and depressing, but as you're speaking, <laughs> um, what comes to my mind is the experience of being with a group of people who are all, practicing glossolalia at the same time mm-hmm. and the way it sounds when people are all praying in tongues and of mm-hmm. course so therefore no one's saying the same thing but there's this mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you Concert. know maybe that's actually what it sounds like Concert when you get four people together who pray, who have different practices okay. well, but we could actually do them <laughs> together mm-hmm. simultaneously. Anyway, that's what came to yeah. mind. I also think there okay. could
1: be a, a, a slightly nuanced distinction between Praying together and being with yeah, each and other and in prayer, prayer. Yeah. and I, yeah. I, I think the yeah. latter yeah. is easier mm-hmm. than the former. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I also think that yeah, um, it's harder. It's it's like immigration. You know, do, do we want you know the uh, you know the, the big melting pot, or do we want sort of the tossed salad? You know, and and how do we see ourselves as we come together for prayer? Do we all want to sort of blend in together as as just one big you know, hot pocket of, you know, Christian <laughs> right. joy? Or right, would right. we like something that's a little bit more uh, distinct, <laughs> you know, in the flavors of it as we are praying and being in the same place together to pray? I I, I think uh, the more I look at it, mm. uh, I, I find myself wanting some of the distinction because I, I think— I think there's greater beauty there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure why I think that. Yeah, right. But so
3: Luke, how do you think about this when you like pray at graduation or what, like how do you, what is your thought because that is this, except more complicated.
0: More complicated, right. I'm the moderator, by the way, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think um, within a university that is not per se a Christian University, um, and you have people of all faiths or no faiths. I mean, it becomes—I um, would say—it becomes less Christocentric in the in the ceremonies, commencement um, or convocations. But I'm still very much even preaching. I have to preach at baccalaureate and so in my mind i'm still i definitely am preaching the gospel i've used the last couple of years old testament narratives this year may be a new testament move and so but that's also a a, a delicate dance i think if it's clearly a, within a christian context then there's there is no question about it there's a there's a freedom and so i think when the audience broadens, yeah, it becomes more complex, but there's still a sense, I think prayer, which is, even with the events of last week and the event on the quad, prayer can also be seen as a threat for those, because it implies theology, implies God. (laughs) It it, it implies one who is beyond us, bigger than us, that we are not on our own, and I think, you know in these environments at times in, in university settings, it can be um problematic, so it's a delicate dance I mean to be honest it it's but there is a sense there is still an offering to god um and preaching and praying from old testament new testament so there there is that freedom, but there is a delicate dance and I think you know for this conversation and thinking about within the Christian traditions. I mean, how, I'm hearing, because I believe you, I mean, uh, Father Mike, what you're saying about beauty. I think the beauty is in the diversity. It's not a problem. It's actually what is beautiful, because it says something about who God is, the particularities. Um, But at the same time, there is that tension. And so on Duke's campus in particular, and in your work, in different hats you wear here, can... Prayer, is there a time for Christians to come, not in times of crisis, you know, something happens in the world as a tragedy. Everyone comes together, but is there a time? Is there, I don't know, in terms of the collective sensing, longing, yearning for Christians, whatever groups you might be a part of to come together to pray. Um, And how is, is is. Is that even a possibility in our day and age? Or, and if so, what does that look like? What, and, and how does that, can that foster unity or, or not? If it is something God does, Lauren, right? And we think about the perichoresis, the divine dance. Um, and God is unified in God's very own being, right? The unity of the Trinity. If we are caught up in that, how does, what does that unity look like as it relates to prayer? Or
1: Sometimes I think there's just an awareness that might have to suffice, even though it seems, you know, overly simple. I, I know on Sunday nights, the uh, Duke Catholic Center, we worship right here in Duke Chapel at 9 o'clock. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting just a bit earlier than us are the uh, Presbyterians down in the basement, Uh, Katie Owens here, and uh, where I sit is right uh, on the grates, the ventilation grates, or where my seats are, and um, I remember when I first got here, um, I was, uh, I could hear their piano playing during our service, and I thought, oh, well, that's got to stop, uh, you know, they, they, they can be doing that, and so I, 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 and Katie and I were both new at the same time, and I, I like, the next day or whatever, I, I don't think I was too obnoxious, but that's questionable, but anyway, I went up to her and said, you know, th- this, this music that's going on, you know, what, what's going on, I forget how the conversation went, but I, the, clearly, I was saying, you know, you're interrupting us, and, and she said, well, you know, we can hear you too, you know, and it was kind of like, you're interrupting us, you know, (laughs) but my my point was is that every Sunday when I hear them, and probably me and maybe the folks in the first six aisles might hear, everyone in the basement hears, just because the dynamics of the sound, I just have the sense that there are others praying at the same time we're praying, and I am, there's a, an awareness that comes to my heart that I like, that I'm aware that we're we're praying differently, but we're, we're praying at the same time. And so maybe that in and of itself is one way of just acknowledging our, our unity in a time of prayer. Mm. Well, I have a couple of
0: questions here that have been passed to me. Um, and we may not get to all of them because of time. But let me also tell you that when we're finished up here around one thirty. I learned that there are refreshments down in the basement. Um, if you don't know how to get there, ask someone. <laughs> uh, but there'll be a, you can continue the conversation, okay, after we're officially done here. But here's a question that piggybacks on some of what was just um, being discussed. Can the particularities of your denomination aid unity in prayer? If so, how?
3: I don't really know what that means.
0: (laughs) Anybody? Steve.
4: What's particular about our church is its lack of particularity. I mean, in the sense of of, there are a variety of prayer practices. It'll be Fanny Crosby hymns one week. Mm -hmm. It'll be bluegrass another week. It'll be classical music. I'm thinking about... Sure. The, kind of the worship Multiple life. It, there are periods in the service that are very liturgical, mm-hmm. you know, Nicene Creed, Apostles Creed, um, weekly communion, and then there are periods where someone's up front saying, "What kind of prayer needs are there?" And, and there have been times where we've just allowed folks to stand and pray at our service. So there's, so because our particular form is rather eclectic, then there's, it, I think it's easier from that position to welcome in a variety of folks, that I think if you have a fairly well-worn groove as a, as a praying community, um, that something off of that would feel very alien. And so I think we're kind of used to
0: alien um, a bit more. Hmm. So I, okay. I, I think
4: it depends on what your own practice
0: is mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. your community. Anybody else on that one?
1: I would just oh. say I think uh, what's particu- what can be seen as particular about uh, Catholic prayer is, is its ritual nature. It tends to be maybe a little more ritualistic than others. And I think that that's at the heart of the human condition, is that we're, we tend to be people of ritual. And if you don't think you are, mm-hmm. just go back to this morning when you got out of bed. And if you didn't do things the exact same way that you did them the day before, you know, I'd like to shake your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think appreciating that ritual is uh, has a place there's comfort in ritual mm-hmm. that uh, can be a, a blessing but I I think the, the question it, it begs the question that mm-hmm. I, I, I think particularity inhibits us more than it unites us I don't know there's a whole lot of way to get around it
4: mm-hmm. Steve one, one Steve. more comment on that, on that one. I, I do think at some level, particularity is like every other kind of disunity in the body of Christ. Something we move toward and beyond to connect to someone who is with whom we are a brother and sister or sister in Christ, but who's different than us. I mean, we have different languages, we come from different cultures. We're just thinking within the American church, how do we get across these barriers? But we've got language barriers and cultural barriers that we encounter here among believers who are from other parts of the world and so I think the, the call to Christian unity isn't a call to find, um, isn't a call to, to some kind of practice particularity, but to say we all have a very particular set of practices that we need to actually find ways to seeing each other as, as, as us and not you all and, and us. Um, and so I think the particularity gives a chance to, get, to pursue that rather than mm-hmm. to assume it.
3: So I just want to wonder whether in heaven we will somehow all be praying the same way <laughs> or whether there will actually somehow there will be a perfected particularity mm. in our mm. heavenly prayer life. I'll let you know.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> will find out together. later we'll find rather out together, than sooner.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes. On the unity and disunity, here's a question. Um, A little different what role does emotion play in prayer and how does that unify or um, disunify okay emotion
3: so one of the useful things about liturgy it seems to me is precisely that it has the capacity to order emotion um so one can think about the question of emotion and prayer as saying, in prayer I'm expressing, I mean, this is the old debate. This is the old debate about extemporaneous prayer and liturgy. Am I expressing emotion or am I having my emotions affections ordered in a particular way right. by prayer? And I, that, mm-hmm. that's at the heart of that debate, I think. Mm-hmm. So we had
4: a foster son, nine-year-old African-American kid, grown up in the church, we took him to our Presbyterian church with us. It was a special music piece. And as soon as it was over with, he starts kind <laughs> about like that, I think, mm-hmm. echoey. And he looked around like, what's going on? I mean, it was really the lack of emotion, or at least of this kind of responsiveness, give and take, right. was felt very alien and weird to him. So I, I do think emotion and how we manage that in the midst of people gathered for worship, mm-hmm. I think about worship in particular, um, but also in prayer and prayer broadly because worship is just a particular expression of prayer um emotion is one of the things that does distinguish how we how we pray from each other um and i do think i I think that's why i call this a discipleship if i want to pursue christ i'm going to pursue christ with the rest of the body of christ and if i'm going to do that i have to not just understand you from afar i do think there are times where i need to enter in Mm -hmm. and surrender my practice to your practice to whatever small ways i can um and I don't think that's trying to pursue some blended ideal. It's much mm-hmm. more of a, it's not the, the hot pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually a, at least a willingness to submit. We know to do this when we're in a missionary context. You know, you go to some other culture, and you're like, oh, I've got to find a way to, to be with this culture. And I think we don't, we fail to see our own multicultural expressions in the same way when, they're, when, when everything else feels familiar We think that should be familiar, too. uh, Mm.
2: And I I do think that a lot of times in more liturgical traditions, like, emotion sort of gets a bad rap, as though, like, you're just being emotionally manipulated if you actually feel something, Mm. [3] which I don't think is true. And I think that fundamentally, like, people come to church to encounter the living God, Mm -hmm. [3] and people come to pray uh, with sort of, at least a yearning to have that encounter. And I do think that one of the gifts of uh, a prayer like the Lord's Prayer or something like that, that you sort of recite whether you feel it in that moment or not, is that, you know, you do keep reciting until the emotion sort of returns. But I I guess I feel like the hope that if the emotion does at some level represent um, feeling overwhelmed by God's presence... And I think it's okay to hope for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, I think emotion you know, is an important part of prayer and I think that emotion can also, th- that shared sense of emotion can help you feel kinship mm-hmm. with one another even across very different boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I experienced that when I traveled in Kenya and just feeling, even though I couldn't understand what was being said, the sense of kinship and emotional connectedness to the people there
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, emotion is extroverted in a variety of ways, how it's expressed. I mean, you might be sometimes in a Presbyterian church preaching and their amen is mm, (laughs) mmm, right? The Presbyterian amen, it's it's not the extroverted amen brother out loud, but that doesn't mean there's a lack of emotion. I mean, as human beings, we have emotion. If we don't, then maybe we're not human. Right, the danger is going down the path of emotionalism. Go ahead, Father Mike. If I could
1: just say, I don't, I I think we err if we look at emotion as a a static point. I mean, I think it's a continuum, and so I oftentimes find I'm sort of extroverted myself and sort of feed off of, you know, the energy of others. And in preaching, sometimes I look out and oftentimes I, I always say to students, you know, if you think I'm boring, you know, I'd love to put a huge mirror up here so, so you could look at you because you're boring. I mean, looking at you, you're boring. Uh, But it's not always about their effervescent way of expressing that emotion. It can be expressed different ways. And I, 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 I I do think though that, um, that, that, that part of ourselves is in any expression of ours, it's emotive. anytime we express ourselves it is is emotional
0: there's two um quite we'll see if we can get to these i'd like to if we can um, and close our time this is one that says i have found in my own life and the lives of loved ones that self-abuse can be done in the name of spiritual disciplines how does one keep oneself accountable when practicing spiritual disciplines
1: I think the the short answer to that is that's the beauty of Christian community. I mean, a lot of times I think any of us, whether it be in uh, practices that maybe can be harmful or in any of another way, is when we get in this sort of siloed me and God world that uh, we tend to, uh, we can hurt ourselves and and in some ways hurt others. So I, I think the beauty of Christian community is sometimes tried and true methods have borne the test of, uh, of time where the spiritual greats of our past, the, our ancestors who have shown us ways that work, spiritual practices that work, and here are some of the parameters and staying connected with a community, worshiping within the, a communal context can I think uh, keep us from maybe crossing boundaries there. Anyone else about on that question?
0: Um,
4: I think it's where having a spiritual director, or not just in general community, but Mm. a very particular kind of community, Mm -hmm. that somebody that you're you're rehearsing and talking about your practices with somebody who's reflecting Mm -hmm. back. Are you meeting God here? Are you meeting that you know? If you're doing examine at night, is this a time of condemnation because you're in a depressive state? It's probably not a good practice for you right now. I mean, so there are there are times when certain practices are unhelpful, and you need it's helpful to have somebody who's reflecting with you about them and whether they're accomplishing the ends toward which they're designed. And and if not, if they're accomplishing a a destructive end, then someone to give you freedom to say, this is not an ought, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, this is a means of grace. And if it's not being experienced as grace, then either you're you're experiencing it wrong or there's other things going on that make this an unhelpful
0: practice for you. One last question, and this can be your final words, okay? (laughs) Um, In American spirituality, there seems to be the understanding that as long as I am sincere, any way I pray is right and good. Do you think this is true? Are there wrong ways to pray? I think Lauren is, yep, perfect.
3: I think there are wrong ways to pray, and I think we inevitably pray them. But prayer is not somehow protected from the fall. It's not protected from being tarnished by sin. Um, Romans tells us that our prayer will go wrong. So inevitably, yes, there are wrong ways to pray, and we do them.
4: James is the same. You, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives to spend them on your own desires. So there are, there are self-centered ways to pray. There are theologically wrong ways to pray. Hmm. Um, we have some folks who joined our church a number of years ago who had been at a church for several years because they'd been gathered to pray for a child who had a, a severe disease and that child died. Hmm. And the assumption of that community was because that child died, we didn't pray right. And it's our fault. So that I mean, yeah, they're wrong that was a wrong way to pray and a wrong way to, wrong context for understanding what was going on mm. and it damaged them.
2: I mean, I, I do think that there can be wrong ways to pray. I guess I just trust that if we are persistent in prayer that God will sort of bring us back. And I feel like one of the prayers that I often pray for myself and, and corporately too is that Sort of the desires of my heart reflect the desires of God's heart, Um, and I think that that can be a prayer that can sort of help keep you grounded. Um, But I I agree that I think that there's often I think we too easily look to God as being the sort of the cosmic wish granter in the sky and I think that's also a problematic way to pray but I would say keep praying <laughs> be persistent God is faithful.
1: We started by uh, talking about the national championship and and so mm. uh, maybe we can end there by you know I I, I don't think um, I, I'm a former coach and pray with athletes you know a fair amount and you know I think praying for victory and believing that you know that's you know i, I th- that might be a wrong way to pray and rather c- pray to excel you know in that in those contexts i think are it's are, kind of a better way to look at it but uh i'm, I'm thinking of uh, thomas merton uh and a a prayer of his which uh, i find powerful you know when he says lord i i don't know where i'm going and <clears throat> And he uses this phrase, he says, um, but I know that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And so to the question mm-hmm. about, um, you know, it's our, 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 we have good intentions. I do believe as the, pa- mm-hmm. I think there are bad ways to pray. Um, at the same time, I think there's holiness in the desire to pray, and I believe that that's the yearning of the spirit within us, which does cry out to the Father uh, on our behalf, and that desire to pray, I believe, uh, is in fact, uh, a pleasing thing in God's eyes. Can we thank our panelists?
0: The conversation can continue in the basement. There are some refreshments there. Um, for all of us and what i would like to do it's been mentioned a couple times already and um, is to close with a prayer that when we don't know what to pray or how to pray and even though there might be different versions um, i invite us all to say the lord's prayer together our father who art in heaven hallowed Hallowed be be thy thy name thy thy kingdom kingdom come come, thy thy will will be done done on earth as it is is in heaven. heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our
4: trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever
0: and ever. Amen. Great. Let's thank you Fellowship together downstairs.